This is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Second hour of Seattle Sports at Night going down right now on 710 ESPN Seattle. Curtis Rogers and Seahawks insider Stacey Rost with you for the next hour. Make sure you're downloading the Seattle Sports Tonight podcast. Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is. Eight days until C- I mean, I mean, eight it's days. It's not wrong. It is. I, mean, <laughs> I don't correct. see a lie. Yeah, it is eight days until training camp right there. But <laughs> you can download our podcast at uh, 710sports.com if you click on the podcast. Curtis, page. can I read you a text? Read me a text. From the 813. Oh, my my arch nemesis, the 813. <laughs> so you get through, you and Dwayne Brown find the alien holding cell, then dun, 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 the aliens all look like Guy Fieri in a flame cladded polo. What do Man, you do? What do I do? I make peace. I make <laughs> peace. I say, come in peace. Hey, look, we all want to live in Flavortown. Yeah. Guy. Like, who, who wouldn't want to visit Flavortown? It's a town full know. of flavors. Name one person who hates Guy Fieri. Uh, I'll tell you. I think Bob Stelton does. Which, Shut up. I mean, no, he doesn't. That's that's typical Bob, though. Hating on people having fun. Hating on someone because he's cool. Yeah, exactly. That's such a Bob move. Oh, man. That's just, that's just how it is. But uh, shout out to uh, the 813. Chi- chiming in on the Coors I text on You Can Too at any point. You, you want to do it. 710-710. That is the number to text. Uh, but coming up in this hour, we uh, look at some of the NFC West teams, uh, you know, in the division not named the Seahawks. That's coming up at eight fifteen uh, this last Saturday. Myself, Lydia Cruz, Taylor Jacobs, we did a huge NFC West preview. All three hours of Seattle Sports Saturday was dedicated to the other teams in the NFC West, and so we're going to unpack a little bit of what we talked about on Saturday. That's coming up in about ten to fifteen minutes from now, and also at eight thirty. The Mariners, last night's game got away from them. Mm-hmm. They had opportunities to win it. But did Marco Gonzalez not do his best out there? Did he maybe not show some great leadership while out on the mound? We'll talk that coming up at 8.30. Somebody at 7.10 certainly thinks he didn't. But that's coming up uh, in about 25 minutes from now. But right now it is time for Stacy's Offensive Line Preview. Stacy, you've been going through, or you're. In I the wish m- I had an intro song. Stacy's offensive line preview. Ew, that's that's my big voice guy impression. Oh, I don't like it. <laughs> Stacy's offensive line preview. <laughs> there we I go. do like yeah, that. Yeah. Okay. Um, here's Stacy's uh, <laughs> offensive line preview. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> you're like so, a very sad golf voice. So, Stacy, you're in the midst of of. Previewing every single positional group on the Seahawks. You're yep. at the offensive line today. Yep. Tomorrow, you said uh, secondary. Secondary, and we're going through the offensive line right now. How does it shape up to you as we're just less than two weeks away from well, training well, camp? Well, well, Curtis. So uh, I broke all of these are broken down into a couple different categories. So first, we take a look at key contributors. Then we look at what's changed from last year to this year. Then we look at a breakout candidate. Then we look at the top storyline. And we also list out the complete list of players at that position with their height, weight, age, everything. So you have like a mini roster if you're looking for uh, that position battle to see um, who all is kind of in the fold. So for key contributors, 
seems obvious to me, but it's obviously left tackle Dwayne Brown. Pro Football Focus has him and has had him for the past two years as their highest rated lineman, has allowed only five sacks since he became a Seahawk in October 2017. Um, And then right guard DJ Fluger, who they re-signed, was a big part of that running game. It felt like him and Mike Solari just coming in together. I don't know whether it was work with Schottenheimer or what, but it was just seemed like a perfect fit. Um, Obviously a big year for him coming off a career year. Now the question is whether he can stay healthy. And then they brought in Mike Upati, another former student of Solari's, to uh, fill in at that other guard position. So those are the key contributors. Um, As far as what's changed from last year, you've got some new faces. You've got Mike Upati, Demetrius Knox, Phil Haynes, and Marcus Martin. So Upati, 32 years old. Signed in free agency, obviously the biggest addition of all those guys. Um, Like DJ Fluker, he's someone who can make a big difference, fits with Seattle's offense. It's not a question of whether or not he's going to fit into their scheme. Both for him and Fluker, it's a question of how many games they can play. Um, And uh, obviously Phil Haynes, one of the rookies taken in this year's draft. And I have him as my breakout candidate. Okay. Dwayne Brown was asked about him during camp. And... uh, Yes, I did ask specifically about Phil Haynes because Phil Haynes was filling in for Upati, who had a foot injury but is expected to be a participant in training camp. Um, And he said he's someone who's been a pleasant surprise, a big, strong guy who's catching on pretty quickly and has a great demeanor. Brown said a lot of times this atmosphere could be overwhelming. You're given so much information. There's a lot of speed. You're not used to practicing without pads on so fast and everything's happening, but he's handling it really well. So Haynes got a quite a bit first team reps yeah here um, is uh that quote from Dwayne Brown Phil Haynes is somebody that, that definitely uh has been a, a pleasant surprise you know uh, he's big strong guy he's catching on pretty quickly he has a great demeanor um a lot of the time this, this kind of atmosphere can be overwhelming um uh, being given so much information you know the, the speed right now you're not used to practicing without pads on so fast you know and, and everything happening so quickly but he's handling everything well Today, uh, he was in there with the ones and uh, played next to me and communicated greatly. So I think it's uh, there's a lot of promise around him, um, which is which is interesting because it felt like all of the attention coming out of the draft. First, it was on LJ Collier, obviously their first round selection. But then it was like the DK Metcalf story. And rightfully so. He was a really exciting addition to that offense. The offense seemed really excited to have him. Russell Wilson among them. And. I think that it's been interesting to hear not only what Dwayne Brown has said, but uh, what guys like Jake Heaps, who are there, you know, regularly kind of watching this, engaging player reactions to new additions. He also seems pretty optimistic about Phil Haynes. Yeah. And I mean, Jake is a guy whose opinion on on those kinds of matters, I, I definitely hold in high regard because, I mean, he's. He's been in those locker rooms. He knows what, what's going on with the, the Seahawks and, and a lot of what's still going on because he's very well connected with the, the guys who are still on the roster there. Uh, you look at the rest of your preview, the top storyline you have picked out for this group, mm-hmm. what is it? I, You never want like a top storyline to be just health because – health isn't guaranteed with any NFL season and sometimes it feels like a cop-out but I think with the offensive line in particular it's the most punishing position in football if not the most then at least one of them and you have guys who did struggle with injuries last year who have struggled with injuries over their career Um, and those injuries 
it's tricky for Seattle because they're at two, they're at both guard spots, which are so essential for your run run game, your run attack. And you have guys who last year, DJ Fluker was the most starts he's had in a season. He had a great year and he looked great in camp. Obviously like a lot of veterans, sometimes they sit out and just kind of take a break. But um, I think that health is still your biggest concern. If they can stay healthy and they can all stay the same starting five, then you have a chance to improve on what they did last year. And it wasn't like right home about it kind of numbers, but they went up from 29 to 17. So I just, I don't think that's anything to, to kind of be disappointed in. I mean, it's a big step forward. That kind of leap going from 29 to 17. The offensive line used to be something where people just panned it every year. Yeah. Uh, Bob Stelton also. Yeah. We'll talk about him again right here. But going from 29 to 17, going from that bad of an offensive line to a passable offensive line, an offensive line that is not an embarrassment and one that, you know, is just league average, like that is a tremendous leap. And that's why, you know, we just didn't worry about it last year. It's probably easier, though, to make that leap Mm -hmm. than it is to go from middle of the pack to elite. Does this Seahawks offensive line have it within themselves to make that second leap to get into the upper half of the league? Dwayne Brown certainly thinks they do. One of the things he also said at minicamp was that this line has a chance to be the best in the league, and he truly believes that. And I think I think there's a case to be made that in a second year under an offensive line coach that, that they all seem to like and respect and have high praise for him, a group with guys who are savvy, like Dwayne Brown, just kind of universally respected in that locker room, a guy who knows his stuff, um, with guys like Jermaine Effetti, who got a lot of criticism and flack early in his career, who seemed to take a step forward last year. Um, I think they're primed to, like, I wouldn't say be sit atop the league, but certainly to take a step forward. Like, I don't think last year was flukish. I think it was the result of having the same guys in the line day in and day out and staying healthy. Like none of them, Dwayne Brown is a four-time pro bowler. Like these are guys that aren't bad guys. DJ Fluker is a former first round pick. I mean, these are pl- these are good players. Mikey Potty, for that matter, is a former first round pick. Former all, but pro. it's really hard to stay healthy. Not just for them, for any offensive lineman. I mean, look at the Cardinals last year. What would Arizona have been like? What would Josh Rosen's career have been like had they not lost pretty much every starter on that O line? That butterfly effect. Uh, That's what I'm saying. I mean, I know wow. that like, you know, you still had a coaching change, and you never know. And it's I'm still personally curious to see what Kyler Murray brings to the table, but. I'm just saying it makes a huge difference. Coming up next on Seattle Sports at Night, we take a look at some of the rest of the teams in the NFC West, how they are able to stack up with the Seahawks. What are some of the most surprising things we've learned about them this offseason and how that sets up for the 2019 season? That's up next. Curtis Rogers and Stacy Ross, Seattle Sports at Night on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacy Ross. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio on 710 ESPN Seattle. 845, it's your chance to ask us anything. We'll do our best to answer it. That's at 845. Make sure you're texting in those questions to the Coors Light text line 710-710. Curtis Rogers, Stacey Rost with you here 
on 710 ESPN Seattle. We're with you for about the next 45 minutes or so. Coming up at 8.30, a time uh, time for another round, a big if true. Did Marco Gonzalez show bad leadership last night? He had some pretty pointed comments following the game about what went down uh, as the Mariners lost 9-2 to yesterday. They lost 10-2 to today. They go 0 for on their road trip, 0-5 but they're back in town on Friday for a 10-game homestand. But uh, right now, on Saturday, on Seattle Sports Saturday, we previewed the rest of the NFC West. Mm -hmm. We dedicated an hour to each team, uh, Cardinals, 49ers, and Rams. And there were some things we learned along the way about each team, and a few of them stood out. And I think with each team, the – Amount of uncertainty with the Cardinals right now, I think that might be the biggest question mark in the entire division. That might be one of the biggest question marks in the league. Yeah, I think so. I feel like one of the biggest stories this offseason is a new head coach, new quarterback with the worst team from last year. What's it going to look like? And is there have they done enough to improve to becoming just a palatable team? Right, because they did add a lot of offensive weapons for Kyler Murray. They did. And then they also added to their defense, but their defense is going to be without their best player in Patrick Peterson for the first six weeks of the season. And you've got Larry Fitzgerald. If This is likely his final season. Mm -hmm. You don't know what that offense is going to look like beyond this year. So the Cardinals, the biggest question mark in the division. For sure. Yeah, And I don't think there's any doubt that they have the biggest boomer bust potential too. Yeah, but San Francisco's right there next to them. Yes. Because San Francisco was another the conversation that we were having about the NFC West a year ago before last season started was are the Seahawks going to be in last place? Like that's the way that I feel like the national conversation at least was surrounding Seattle because they were seen as a team whose window if not was closing had closed. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo was there. And he could do Josh no Rosen, exactly. Josh Rosen was there. Jimmy Garoppolo and his eyebrows, his perfectly symmetrical eyebrows, uh. could do no wrong. Um, obviously, you had the Rams, uh, who had been the best team entering that year. And then you left with two of the worst teams, but teams that were bad for both kind of injury-related reasons, at least for the bulk of it. I'd say especially for San Francisco. So because of that, there were a lot of question marks. It wasn't like it was a bad performance. It wasn't like you had Josh Allen and you were like, okay, we've seen what he did for a year. It was like Jimmy Garoppolo was injured and you didn't see it all. Yeah, he started. This is a new quarterback now in Arizona. You don't know at all. I think Garoppolo started, what, five games a year ago. And, you know, you, you talked about it. Him coming into the 2018 season. Everybody's like, oh, is Jimmy Garoppolo already a top 10 quarterback in the league? Cause One he... of the conversation points on an NFL special was what will be his first loss? God. Like, I think it was week one, wasn't it? It had was to have it? been really quick out of the gate. Yeah. Uh, but it's just so wild to think about, like, where the division was a year ago this time and where it is now. Mm-hmm. People were still trying to, you know, they were wondering if the Rams could prove it because they made the playoffs in 2017. Right. And yet they got stomped out in their first game, and they're like, "Oh, maybe Sean McVay is just you know he's a one trick pony, and mm-hmm. like his his style of play can't win in the postseason." 
Whereas they did have success. They made it all the way to the Super Bowl. Couldn't put up any points on the Patriots in the Super Bowl. But but they still changed a conversation about the entire league. Absolutely. Them and the Chiefs, I mean, started a whole... I feel like half the flack that the Seahawks offense gets is because of the innovative things that the Chiefs and Rams have done. Well, and if the Rams hadn't had the kind of success they've had over the last couple of seasons... You wouldn't see the Packers go out and hire Matt LaFleur. You wouldn't right. see the Cardinals hire Cliff Kingsbury mm-hmm. and the Bengals hire Zach Taylor. You wouldn't see these teams make these you know, offensive guru hires the way they did. So it, it kind of begs the question, like, will the NFC West look dramatically different than it does right now? And if so, which team is going to be the team that, that shakes it up mm-hmm. in that way? What if it's the Seahawks and what if it's them going like 12 and 4 this season? Because I don't I don't think it's That's out of the possibility point. that they could win 10 11 games and if you're winning 11 games that means you have an opportunity to win 12 at least somewhere along the way. Now their schedule doesn't set up very favorably right now yeah. as it currently stands, but that's based off of last year's standings. Mm-hmm. It's not based off of how injuries are going to, you know, make their way across the league and how teams are going to have or to deal. Or how good a team ends up being. Exactly. Like teams that could be good on paper right now for whatever reason don't click and don't bring it all together when the season comes around. There, There's certainly the possibility for that. So I, I think you look at the 49ers, outside of the Seahawks, I think they're the team that has the biggest boom potential. Mm. Why be- do you say that? Well, I say that because... Over the Cardinals. Yes, I say that because of health. They're they're going to start out healthy. Who knows if they're going to end up healthy. And their defensive line is really good right now. And that's with D Ford, that's with Nick Bosa. You've got um Eric Armstead also there mm-hmm. on the defensive line. You've got guys who know how to get after the quarterback and as we've seen in in the NFL if you're going to win, getting after the quarterback is the best way to do it, at least on a defensive standpoint. And it's kind of like how in baseball teams are all about launch angle and home runs and whatnot and just kind of like over-exaggerating one aspect of the game. You to, think that's the tilt it, quarterback Yeah, thing? to tilt it in their favor. Yeah. I think that's what it is in the NFL where teams just load up on pass rushers. Sacks or busts. Yeah, to, to, to counter – the offensive rules and how they favor the quarterback and how teams are just throwing the ball like 70% of the time, it doesn't matter as much anymore if your run defense isn't as bad because the majority of the game is through the air. Mm -hmm. And I think the 49ers right now could possibly be a team that may sneak up and end up with a winning season, but that's if everything goes their way. And I'm talking about if everything goes their way, then that means they win nine, ten ball games. It's weird how the conversation about whether or not Jimmy Garoppolo is great long term just kind of faded. Oh, like yeah. It was like he got paid and we were like, man, if he can stay healthy, it was like an Andrew Luck thing, right? Like if Andrew Luck can stay healthy, but Andrew Luck has, has done really well. I think it's clear he's a great quarterback. I think Jimmy Garoppolo, though, you just kind of assume like if Bill Belichick was really hesitant to get rid of him and when he got rid of him, sent him as far away division-wise and geographically as he possibly could, then he must be good. I think that's that's an argument that makes sense to me and is fair. Like I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo's bad. I think no. people that pay him know more about football than I do. But I I do think it's interesting that there the question marks with that that team 
don't usually circle the quarterback, whereas in Arizona, it's all going to be, is Kyler Murray going to buck that trend of, you know, a shorter quarterback not succeeding? Or is he going to be a guy who comes in and like Drew Brees and Russell Wilson, um, and you could argue Baker Mayfield, maybe in that group a little bit, kind of surprises people and plays really well. Well, and it's, you look at Kyler Murray, he's got so many things working against him right now. His height, which everybody points to because he's 5'10", and he's he's shorter than Russell Wilson. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, there were those truthers out there that thought he was wearing, like, padded socks at the combine to increase his height beyond, like, 5'8", or whatever. And then you've also got a brand-new head coach who runs, in the football world, kind of a gimmicky offense. It's not something that, you know, the majority of the football world has embraced. It's successful, but Cliff Kingsbury hasn't had a tremendous amount of success with it. Cliff Kingsbury couldn't win at a huge level at Texas Tech, and that is while being the head coach of probably the most talented quarterback on earth. Well, I think people saw it, too, as is he genuinely, like, great, or is he someone where you're responding to the success that Sean McVay has had? Yeah. And then you're making a move that you feel like can help you replicate that. And then it's like we're just going to be in a league now where everybody throws it 60 times a game, whereas that creates inefficiencies out there that teams can take advantage of Mm -hmm. if so many teams are going for coaches like Sean McVay and, and, you know, they get the Cliff Kingsbury's of the world. It kind of makes what the Seahawks are doing right now almost advantageous. But what I wonder is, I feel like with the Seahawks style of play, it's harder to get away with it when you're not healthy. And no one's healthy by, like, week two, no one's healthy anymore. But it is a really physical style. And you also need to make it work. Because if you end up not converting, you're on the field, you run it three times, gain three yards, and then you're done. So you still have to mix it up a little bit. You do. And you got to take shots. And, you know, the... Which it's not like they didn't do that. I think it is kind of overstated that how much they relied on the run, and I think that that last game against Dallas kind of left a lasting flavor in people's mouths. Well, yeah, and it's unfortunate that that was the final impression we got of the Seahawks. Imagine if the last game of the Seahawks was uh, against Carolina. Or what if it was, yeah, the Carolina game, or what if it was the Chiefs game? Right. One of those two. Or just somehow ended with a loss, but you could see that they changed their approach or that they were successful against a team that they had struggled, they would struggle against. Yeah, I was looking back at some old box scores from this last season. Remember the Monday night game against the Vikings where they had like 80 yards of total offense the entire night? And And then the defense was just lights out. Yeah, that was insane. Was that Bobby? When was Bobby Wagner's pick six? That was against the 49ers. Okay. But yeah, that it was, it was a wild season a year ago. Like for Seattle or just in general? For, for Seattle. Yes. Especially with the 0 2 start and then digging themselves out of that hole, going ten and four the rest of the way, and then, you know, slipping up at the end against the 49ers, but then going to the postseason against the Cowboys mm-hmm. team, which I think if they play that Cowboys team nine more times, they probably win seven or eight of those. It's just But that's the biggest question because as I think people's critique about the season is heading into it. Is Schottenheimer going to say, I wouldn't change anything? Yeah, man. Because you could argue, I mean, Zeke Elliott also had how many yards, right? 
Like, it wasn't just an offensive thing. That's true. But, I mean, I still... One of my biggest lingering questions from this team is what happened in Carolina that didn't happen in Dallas. And part of that's my own limited knowledge of, like, what goes into a game plan and what they are seeing from the opposing team. But another part of it is, like, well, I don't know. Like, do they change? Like, is, is Schottenheimer as open to change and as open to being flexible as fans might want him to be? Big if true. Big if true. Which is coming up next right here on Seattle Sports at Night. You're listening to Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio on 710 ESPN Seattle. Stacey, we got a text from the 253. Mm-hmm. We talked about how that Cowboys game left a bad flavor in our mouth. They go, from the 253, the flavor left in their mouths. You mean Flavortown? <laughs> Eventually, Seattle Sports at Night is going to be all inside jokes. It's going to be all with Guy the regular Fieri, texters. All, AAF, all Guy Fieri, AAF, and Firefest, Fest, and then Hawaii. Yeah. And then shout out to Hawaii. Our shameless promotions of Hawaii. Shout out to the 808. Shout out to the 808 right now, by the way. I hope you guys are having a sweet drive home from work. Coming up next, Rainbow Warriors football. <laughs> How are they looking at it in 2019? The same joke we'll make every time. It, absolutely. It, 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 I like it. It lands without fail every single time but uh yesterday marco gonzalez was pitching for the mariners and had an opportunity to get out of an inning unscathed a call doesn't go his way a borderline strike doesn't get called how he wants it and then the very next pitch it gives up a two-run home run that relinquishes a lead and then the next batter after that he gives up another home run it starts to unwind on him and so marco had a very pointed reaction to the borderline strike call that extended that inning and gave the A's new life, and they were able to take advantage of it. So that brings us to tonight's Big If True. This can't be happening! Big. You can't be serious, man. If. Did Did he he say say that? that? True. History is going to change. The bottom line on the hottest opinions of the day. You cannot be serious! Tonight's Big If True comes to us from Mariners starting pitcher Marco Gonzalez. Here was his comments post-game about how he felt like he got squeezed on a third-strike call that would have gotten the game, uh, at least would have kept it in a much more reasonable fashion. Pretty sickening to have a game in the fifth inning, uh, one-run ball game, 3-2 count, two outs. Um, feels like that was take away from me. Could have made a better pitch, and uh, I've never in my career have I supported showing up umpires. Um, I think they have a tough job, but... That was absolutely awful. So um, I'm, I'm sick about it. Changed the entire game. One run ball game. So uh, it's going to be a tough one to swallow. How bad was the call, really? It was borderline. It wasn't egregious. Okay. But it could have gone either way. The thing, though, about it is that home plate umpire, actually, Marco Gonzalez will talk about it here in this next cut, about how home plate umpire Brian Onora had gotten struck in the head earlier in the game by Domingo Santana's backswing and how that may have thrown off his vision, which Onora was then removed from the game because of it. Obviously, like I said, it's a turning point of the game, fifth inning for me. Um, I don't know how many pitches I was at, but um, yeah, that call, uh, to me, that's, that's a call that changes the game. I don't like to stand here and make excuses. I'll be the first one to take accountability if I get beat up, if I get hit. But that's a game that I feel got taken away from me. And I mean, if you can't if you can't stay in the game to make calls, if you can't do that, then you shouldn't be in the game. He got hit. 
Um, as far as I know, I think he has blurry vision, concussion, um, and he had it for over an inning, and he knew he wasn't feeling good. So to me, it's unacceptable. It's unacceptable. It tacks three more runs on my ERA, which is great. Now, Marco Gonzalez is a guy who a lot of people point to as a, a leader type in the Mariners clubhouse. He's a guy who gets that ball every fifth day, goes out there, does his thing. But I think that final comment of how those three runs get tacked onto my ERA. With the sh- sarcasm, which is show, great. Yeah, shows a little bit of added self-concern when I think a lot of people, Mike Salk, who we're going to listen to in just a moment, I think that didn't sit well with them because it's like, why are you so worried about your ERA in a season like this when you're supposed to be this leader type? and you're trying to look out for the greater good of the team. Here's what Mike had to say this morning, and he got pretty fired up about it. Marco Gonzalez complaining about a bad call after a game? Marco, you're supposed to be one of the leaders on this team. You were empowered by being given the opening day start both in Japan and at home. This is how you want to lead the team? By by complaining again about a bad call? All right, it was a bad call. I agree with you. But, Marco, you're supposed to be a leader. You were given the opening day start twice. I don't want to hear this from you. I kind of agree with him. I agree with Mike. Because when I hear that from Marco Gonzalez and him saying, like, I'm not one to make excuses or I'm not one to criticize an umpire, and then he goes and does it, it shows that, actually, yeah, you are one to do that. You are one to not just own it because – it wasn't the umpire's fault that you threw two consecutive meatballs on the next two pitches. You had opportunities to get out of the inning even after the fact that that 3-2 count or after that two-strike count didn't go your way. Like that to me is like, yo, dude, you had plenty of opportunities to still get out of the inning unscathed. Yeah, the one call didn't go your way, but you look over the course of an entire game, calls don't go your way a lot in baseball. Yeah, but there are going to be mistakes either way. Like, it's not like if you're a quarterback, a a missed P.I. will keep you from getting a perfect game. Most of the time, you've had incompletions already in the game. You've overthrown already in the game. The difference between a winning team and a losing team sometimes is that one or two, that that pitch, that, that throw, that, that one thing that makes a difference. And I do agree with you in theory, but if I'm playing devil's advocate, I think that A it's it's fair to when something's out of your control be upset about it and it does seem like fairly this this guy shouldn't have been in the game at that point and b i think that more players than not consider that stuff like the era thing just you want to feel valuable to your team and it's not fun to hear mean things about you and and to have yourself questioned a lot and then in turn question yourself and I think that this is clearly I mean it's a post game interview. Like how long after the game did he talk about this? I it was don't know. it was probably like twenty minutes. That's after. what I'm saying. Like I don't know that this is the answer he would have given a day removed. It's like the Richard Sherman thing. I don't know, not on the same level, like energy wise, but I don't know that that's the interview, the now famous interview Richard Sherman yeah. would have given With a Aaron day Andrews. removed. But, but this isn't the first time Marco has made So that's what I was gonna ask like this. Because the eight one three says I feel like I've heard Marco complain about this a couple times, and I'm kind of over it. Yeah. Last year, against the Boston Red Sox, 
he had gone four scoreless innings, and then in the fifth inning, they just teed off on him. I think he gave up like five or six runs in that inning and was removed from the game. And then after the game, he then gave a post-game interview where he accused the Boston Red Sox of sign-stealing, where they were relaying the catcher's pitch signals that he was putting oh, down. Oh, wait, I do remember that. Yeah, and how they the batters knew what pitch was coming, and which isn't illegal in baseball. It is yeah. illegal if you do it like electronically with, like, you know, you have a a sign out in your outfield or whatever. But if you but do you just it or- catch on to it. Yeah, if you do it organically and you know, you're able to tell like what what pitch corresponds with which finger is being put down, then that's okay in baseball. And and the Red Sox caught on to what he was throwing and it, it was another excuse as to why Marco Gonzalez got teed up that night. So it, it's just it's been a couple of times that this has happened, especially in games where it's been close at one point, and it doesn't go Marco's way, and it's like, well, dude, you could have adjusted to the situation. Yeah. And unfortunately, he was unable to last night. He was unable to that, that start a year ago against the Red Sox. Do I think Marco Gonzalez is, is somebody who I want in my rotation? Yeah, I think I would like to have him here in Seattle, and uh, you know whether that be – I don't think he's a top end of the rotation guy. If we're talking about a playoff rotation, if we're talking about a team that is going to go to the postseason mm-hmm. and, and you know you want him out there games one, four, and seven of a seven-game series, no. But he's a guy who could probably be a, a three, four, or five starter on a good team, a really good team. Uh, Mike had more to say on Marco and, and his performance. It's after not that. leadership Marco Gonzalez. That's just being a baby yesterday. Were you the victim of a bad call? 100% absolutely yes. I also didn't hear you complain in the first inning when you got a call seven inches off the plate for strike three and a 3-2 count. So I don't want to hear it, man. The guy was bad all day. I agree with you. He was a bad umpire. And oh, by the way, it turns out he was concussed and maybe that had something to do with it. But the guy had a bad day. Grow up and deal with it. (laughs) I mean, Mike's fired up, but I don't necessarily disagree with the idea that like... You know, the ump's probably in the wrong and, like, shouldn't have been there, but you got to bite your tongue, man. Yeah. The umpire did get removed uh, a couple innings after. Right, like, Gonzalez has a point. Like, it sounds like the conversation is about whether or not saying it makes him less of a leader. Is that how you feel about it? I think so. I think he's trying to put the blame on someone else, whereas... He could have just said, yeah, I'll wear this one. Like yeah. it, I'm the one who ultimately threw that pitch that got hit over the fence. I'm the one who ultimately threw the next pitch after that that got hit over the fence. Right. So it, it wasn't just a one-time thing. Like At the end of the day, I think Marco could have shown a little bit more leadership rather than you know the other guys on the team who are just kind of learning the major league game. They hear Marco put blame on an umpire you know, for, for something that they were in complete control of then you know maybe that sends a bad message to the rest of the clubhouse. Do you think this season in particular has impacted how players might be responding to, like how hard is it to keep an attitude that you might otherwise have on a better team when you're really struggling day in and day out? I think the the guys in the minor leagues right now, the Kelnicks, the Julio Rodriguez's, the Logan Gilberts, all those guys, 
they're they're not learning anything from the major league team right now, but the guys who are on the major league roster that have been pinpointed as building blocks, Mitch Haniger and Marco Gonzalez, I don't know if they've been the best examples for how to, you know, for how to have a successful major league career because they're not having it this season. Mm-hmm. Mitch Haniger before he was injured, there's nothing he can do about his injury. But before that, he was he was not good. He was hitting 220 and was not getting on base the same way he he had in in years past. Marco Gonzalez's ERA is up near five right now, and you look at a lot of these young guys on the team who have been brought in as sort of like maybe their pieces, like Daniel Vogelback, for example, like. We don't know if he is a piece for the future that you could build a contending club around, but he's learning from these guys who have been up and that he's played with over the last couple of seasons, and it's like, you know, I don't know if this is the best route for guys to learn when you've got guys who this organization deemed as building blocks and they aren't coming anywhere close to that level of production. I uh, I appreciate from the 813. I kind of live for Mike Salk reality check rants. It's his true skill in life. <laughs> he does always try to he, he does he does a great job of like He does a great rant. S- yeah, and like making it simple enough to where it's like, "Oh yeah, like those are fair points." Right? Like if you if you don't initially pay attention to the fact that he's yelling, you kind of think like, "Oh, like I get it." Yeah, you should kind of brush that off if you're going to be the ace of a clubhouse. Like, if that's your role, you, yeah. sh- you should brush it off. And the thing is that if I were if I were Marco Gonzalez, I'd probably do the same thing. I'm I'm bothered when I read bad things about me or see bad things about me. Well, I don't read bad things about me. No one's writing about me. But <laughs> if I were Marco Gonzalez, like, it'd be the bright lights. right. It's, it is hard for the average person to brush that off. I think the average person would really suck at being a professional athlete, not just yes. on the field, but off of it. It's hard to do, and you're young. You're so young. The average person or the people out there slinging arrows at at just anybody with the the anonymous Twitter picture, like they would have a real hard time being on the other end. Anyone would. It's like just – it's like breaks a social norm to say or hear something mean about someone else. But I don't know. I mean, it also kind of comes with the territory, and part of what makes a great team leader is – being able to model what it looks like to ignore a lot of that. Let's let's yeah let's. <laughs> right. I couldn't couldn't have said it any better myself. <laughs> Ask us anything is next here on Seattle Sports at Night. Text in any question you've got for us to the Coors Light text line seven ten seven ten. That's how we wrap up this Wednesday. Curtis Rogers, Stacey Ross, 710 ESPN Seattle. Live from the Alaska Airlines studio, this is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Ross on 710 ESPN Seattle. A lot of good text questions coming in to the Coors Light text line, 710-710. We could use some more, though, because it's time for you to ask us anything right here on Seattle Sports at Night. Curtis Rogers and Stacy Rost with you for just a few more moments. Stacy, what are you seeing on the Coors Light text line? Curtis, what's something you like but you hate the fan base? Ooh. I like that question. That is a really good Because it forces you to admit when yeah. you hate a fan base. Uh, but, like, I hate going to concerts because, like, the people of, the, like, the musicians and bands that you like – you tend to not like because they're annoying and stuff, and it's like, dang, 
This stinks. Really? Yeah. Like, name one. Uh, I don't know. Just like... I don't know. I can't <laughs> think of any off the top of my head, but like concerts I've been to, it's like, yeah. really? Like, this is the people I associate myself with. Yeah. And I don't like them. What but if I like at this, you I like this artist. Yeah, that's um, probably true. I'm going to say sometimes with um, any like fantasy, any really famous thing like Star Wars. Mm-hmm. There's a population of the fan base that's absolutely wonderful. Even if you wouldn't get along with them or you don't agree with them, like maybe they disagree and they hate the new Star Wars movies and I like them. But anytime there's a fan base that's that big with a thing that's been around for that long, there's going to be a portion of the fan base that's just kind of toxic and resentful and angry. I would probably say that. Like there is a portion of a Star Wars fan base, for instance, that I just want to be like, get over yourself. There, Yeah, there's a portion of that fan base that doesn't like other fans that have latched onto the franchise yeah, later like, in life. Dude, what are you talking about? It's it's like being mad at people who started watching Game of Thrones in season four and being like, you aren't a true fan. Like, if it brings someone happiness, just mm. leave it alone. Who cares? Um, Curtis. Yes. Uh, what question are you sick of being asked? Sick of being asked? Uh, it's... It has to do with my last name. Oh, are you related to Mr. Rogers? Uh, I hate that. That's a lame one. I hate that question. Yeah, that's a bad one. I don't get that. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> probably because uh, your last name's not Rogers. Yeah, that, that's okay. why. Okay. Yeah. Uh, let's see. What's the all-time... Okay, your all-time best sports movie or favorite movie athlete? All-time best sports movie... In my, I did love "Remember the Titans." I know that that's that's a, a really cliche good answer, but it's so good. It I is. loved it. Um, uh, Friday Night Lights with Billy Bob Thornton. That was Ooh. a really good one. Be perfect. Yeah, uh, if I was doing TV show, it would just be Friday Night Lights. Period. The, yes, the most recent best sports movie is Creed, the first one. That one has a rewatchability factor of a million. With uh, Michael B. Jordan? Yes. I haven't I seen it. love that one. I need to check it out. Yeah. It's a, I, it was available for free on Amazon Prime a couple months ago. But, uh, yeah. From the 253, talking about uh, bands that they saw and they didn't like the fan base, they say saw Dashboard Confessional in 03-ish and could barely hear oh, the band over the stupid crowd God. singing along. I loved Dashboard Confessional oh, and because no. that was the time of, like, emo was a thing. So everywhere you went, well, it wasn't emo, it was like screamo, right? Yeah. It was, uh, like, Ohio is for lovers oh, or whatever. Uh, that was a banger. What band sang that one? I, don't I can remember. know it off the top of my head. No, I know. Uh, you got to Google it. You got to look it up, Curtis. But yeah, that crowd was like... Hawthorne Heights. Yeah! That's who, yeah. That was a Ooh. great song. Man. Again, it's something where it's it's probably a band that's had a following for a while, but then they have a hit that becomes popular. So then you show up to the concert and you're like, whoa. From I the, didn't realize it from, went this deep. From the 253, have either of us been out of the country? Yes. Uh, yeah, but only to Mexico. Oh, oh no, I've been to Canada. I've been to Canada... Mexico, the Bahamas, and here's a wild card for you. I have been to Russia. Yeah. What were you doing there, Curtis? I in high school I had an opportunity. I said that so suspiciously. I know, like what? What's going on? Why? 
Uh, I had an opportunity in high school to go work at an orphanage for two weeks, so got to do that. How was it? It was fun. It was a lot of fun. It's not craziest, a place I... Craziest time like I've ever been. Wait, really? I Are saw, you being sarcastic? Uh, a little sarcastic. I did see a guy jump the line at customs at the Moscow airport Yo. and was subsequently beaten to a pulp and arrested by the Russian version of TSA. Have you ever seen... Is that the craziest thing you've seen happen? Yes. One yeah. million percent. I don't think I've ever this seen... This is a post-9-11 world that we were talking yeah. about. Like, yeah, like I've never seen a... A fight. I've never seen anyone like I've wow. never seen a moment like that. It, you never forget it. <laughs> <laughs> like we were standing by the duty free store, not like buying anything or anything, but uh, we see this guy just leap over the barricade, and we're like, "What? What's he doing?" And then he just bolts for a game. What was he trying to I don't do? know. It's like, where can you go? It's like, is this your Ross from Friends moment and you're trying to track down Rachel or or are you insane? It's like, where... Are you rushing Area 51? Yeah. What What do you need to do? Uh, specific question. This comes from the 206. Stacy, Meghan Markle or Beyonce, who is the one true queen? They met wow. this last week, right? That was a pretty emotional moment for you. It did. did it you was have my to take a day off from work <laughs> to recover. It was my Twitter header photo for a while. Yeah, them seeing each other. I'm gonna say Beyonce for seniority. She's um, been on top for longer. Exactly. Meghan Markle, though, the princess. We, we don't deserve her, but the we Duchess have her. of Sussex. Yep. Yep. Yeah, Megan is a close second, but Ooh. Beyonce number one always. Don't let Megan hear you say that, okay? I know. That's going to do it for us here tonight. We will be back with you tomorrow for Stacy Rost. I'm Curtis Rogers. This is Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle.